The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? All right, I want everybody to do something. I want you to take your phones out and I want you to turn them on Do Not Disturb. Matter of fact, you can even turn them off. Why is that? Is it because I am so committed that you do not disturb this service? No, it's because I don't want to know the score of the U.S. women's soccer game that is taking place during this service. And if you tell me anything afterwards, I will pray against you or something. (laughs) Just do not do that to me. But uh, today we come to the, the book of Habakkuk. Everyone open your Bibles quickly to Habakkuk. Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody's in flinches. Yeah, Habakkuk, yeah, that's just like, where in the world is that? These little minor prophets are kind of, go to the end of your Old Testament and then go back a few books. They're small little books, little prophets, but they're not, it's not because they're not important. It's just because they're very short. But uh, we're coming to the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is really wrestling. I mean, he is struggling. He's looking around him at the situation he's living in, at the situation uh, that God has put him in to minister, and he is very discouraged. Uh, he's, he's, he's losing hope. He's like, God, are you even listening to my prayers? Do you even care about what is going on? And, and those are the type of things he says. He says three major things. He says, do you even hear my prayers? And he says, is there ever going to be justice? And then he says, is there any hope for mercy left for our people. And so I wonder where you are today. Maybe that's the way you feel about your personal life. As I thought about how to connect this with what we struggle with, I thought of several possibilities. One, I know in particular some people who are very, uh, it's, a, it's a real challenge to raise their kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, because they're really the only people, they're the only person in their family who loves Jesus. And so you can imagine how hard that is to be all alone and trying to teach your kids to love Jesus and not having anybody in your family support you. Or maybe you're at school, we've got a lot of students in this service or, or in college and at the university, and you look around and you're like, there is no one else that knows Jesus in this place because there is no glory to God here. And, and you get discouraged, and it's hard to remain faithful. It's hard to continue following the Lord when you see all that going on around you. Or maybe it's your workplace. You're trying to follow Jesus at your workplace, and, and there's just not much there to encourage it. In fact, everyone seems to be against it. In all of our lives, we have ways that we can relate to these messages from the minor prophets. But let me tell you the one in particular that the Lord has uh, burdened me with. And that's when I look at the city of Shreveport, I feel like Habakkuk. God has called us as a church to, to shore up some things, to continue to mature as a church. But then by 2025, we're praying God will start to multiply his glory from this place. That we will see the city of Shreveport transformed as this church shores up churches that are struggling or whatever the Lord leads us to multiply our presence in other places where we take the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the communities in this city. And as I think about doing that, I'm going to be honest, I, I feel like Habakkuk. I look at some of these communities and I'm thinking, Lord, do you even hear our prayers? Is there any hope for this city? I, I did some research and it's, I, I don't want to, to depress you, but according to a crime study, um, on the website citydata.com, 
I don't know what happened from 2015 to 2016, but our murder rate doubled. And in 2017, it increased a little more again. And I just looked at the chart of all the different crimes in our city. And in 2017, they all drastically, in 2016, they all drastically increased. And in 2017, they increased a little more. This is the city I've lived my entire life. I love Shreveport. I can't tell you how many people have said to me when I run into them, this is the last place I wanted to be. Why did, how did I end up in Shreveport? And we're going to see the answer to that question today. But as I studied this little survey on citydata.com, they created a city crime index for all the cities in the country. And the one in Shreveport, the city crime index is listed as 96.9%. Now, I don't know if this data knows, what if this website knows what they're talking about, but they said it's 96.9%. And according to that, to their index, the way that works, that means that Shreveport's crime index is worse than 96.9% of all other cities. And God has brought you to Shreveport. And like Habakkuk, if you're like me, I look around and go, where is God? How are we going to make a difference in this city? Habakkuk was called to minister to a place that was ravaged with turmoil. Assyria, remember who we're talking about now, Abraham's descendants became the people of Israel, but then they became the place called Israel as they lived in the promised land or the land of Canaan. And they were broken into two, divided into two kingdoms. The northern was called Israel, the southern was called Judah. But these are all the people of Israel living in in the land of Canaan, the northern place of Israel had, had Assyria capture it. And this is a time Habakkuk's writing before Babylon comes in and conquers them in the Judah, the southern portion. And so Assyria had conquered Israel. Babylon and the Medes conquered Assyria. Egypt tried to conquer Babylon, but Babylon pushed them back. And so Babylon has established themselves as the world power at this time that Habakkuk is writing. And in the middle of all this, you had this little people of Judah trying to figure out how to survive. There's war everywhere. They're like, well, do we align ourselves with them? Do we align ourselves with them? Who's going to be standing at the end of all of this so that we can just survive another, another decade as a people? <clears throat> According to Waylon Bailey, the New American Commentary, Judah had become morally and spiritually corrupt in the middle of all this catastrophic world events that had lasted a decade. He says, quote, that this left many people reeling and disillusioned. It was an agitated time characterized by rapid political change, international turmoil, bloody military encounters, and a growing rebellion against uh, the covenant of God. Does that sound a whole lot different than what we see around us today? The people, this is how morally and spiritually corrupt they had gotten. These are supposed to be the people of God. The people were worshiping false gods of Baal, offering their children to Molech in children's sacrifices, child sacrifices, dedicating their horses to sun gods, and were allowing their temple, which was supposed to be the place of worship of God, allowing their temple to fall into ruin. In other words, they had totally forgotten God and took on the religious practices of their culture. 
And in the middle of that, God says, Habakkuk, I want you to go, and I've got a message. I want you to have a message for the people. And Habakkuk looks around, and he is, he is a picture of a faithful servant of God trying to do what God's told him to do as he lived in a corrupt, devastated by sin culture. And he is wore out. He's wanting to give up. He's wanting to quit. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you look at Shreveport and you say, you know what? There's just no hope. I don't know if God hears our prayers. I don't know if there will ever be justice. I don't know if God has any mercy left for this city. And that's the three things that Habakkuk is going to question God with. Is there, do you hear our prayers? Will there ever be justice? And is there any mercy left for us? Father, I pray today as we answer those questions for Habakkuk that you answer those questions in our own heart today, not just for our city, but for our marriages, for our schools, for our businesses, for our neighborhoods, for our own life. I pray, Lord, you teach us and and revive us and give us hope once again as we remember your faithfulness through the ages. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so today we're gonna, we're gonna strengthen our faith in three areas. First of all, does God hear our prayers? The answer is yes, have faith. God hears your prayers. Listen to uh, Habakkuk's lament as he says, do you hear our prayers? He does this in verse one of chapter one. The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, oh Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? And you do not hear Or cry out, violence is everywhere and you don't save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly, look at wrong? Why do you just stand idly by and watch all this? Destruction and violence are everywhere before me. Strife and contention arise. The law, the word of God is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. We are outnumbered, and so justice goes forth perverted. This is the heart of Habakkuk. This dude is struggling. He is hurting. And what does he do when he feels like this? Does he sit around with his buddies and question God? Where's God? In all of this, where's God? God doesn't even hear our, that's not what he does, does he? He goes to God in prayer and he's honest. And so that's the first point we should pause and take note. God wants you to be authentic with him. Prayer is not just this pious activity where we say pretty words to God We certainly want to worship the Lord in our worship services through prayer, but we also see through the example of Habakkuk, a faithful prophet of God, that when you're struggling, go to God, get real with God, have reverence and respect because you are talking to God, but be honest with the struggle. Lord, I don't even feel like you hear my prayers because I feel like I've been seeing this so long and I don't see any result. When, when my daughters come into town or, or were talking to me, if I even sniff a hint of they're not getting real with me, I'm like, whoa, wait, stop, turn back around, come here. What's going on? Really, what's going on? 
And that's what a loving parent does. That's what your holy, heavenly, loving, perfectly loving father does. Hey, talk to me. He's not going to chastise you. So, so God wants you to be real with him. It's good to talk to him about your struggles like this. God wants you to have a real, open, honest, respectful, authentic relationship with him through prayer. Be honest with him about your struggles. And how does God respond to Habakkuk as he says, Lord, are you even listening? In verse 5, he says, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded. Now, hold on a minute. Now, I'd be like, that's what? It'd be like me saying, Lord, are you here? And he says, yes, look at Shreveport. I'm like, what? You're not, there's a disconnect here. Why would I look at, that's exactly why I'm thinking you're not doing anything. Look at Shreveport. Or look at this, or look at that, look at the schools, look at, look at what's going on in our communities. Lord, what do you mean, look among the nations, look and see, wonder, and be astounded, God says. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You can't imagine what God's up to is what he's saying. You have no idea. If I told you all the things that I was doing, God says, you wouldn't even believe it. So notice, first of all, he doesn't chastise them. He doesn't say, how dare you question me? He doesn't say, where's your faith? He meets him where he is, but he says, you don't have full understanding. Your ways are not my ways. I don't act according to your plan or your schedule or your logic. God says, I am so much wiser than you. If I sat down and told you everything I was doing, you wouldn't even believe it. So what does that mean? You're just going to have to trust me, right? You're just going to have to trust me. Then God tells Habakkuk, well, I'm not going to tell you fully, but I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, and you're not going to believe it. And so he goes ahead and tells him, for behold, let me tell you what I'm doing. He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, who are the Chaldeans? They're the Babylonians. They're the ultimate picture of evil nation in your Bible. That bitter, hasty nation. This is what I'm doing, Habakkuk. Trust me. I'm raising up Babylon. Do what? That holy nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that aren't even their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses, they're this big, bad, wicked nation. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand at kings. They scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men 
whose own might is their God. That's who I'm using, the Lord says. And Habakkuk's going, what in the world are you doing? So God responds, answers Habakkuk's prayers. The problem isn't that God isn't working. The problem isn't that God's not faithful. God is working. God is faithful. Habakkuk just can't grasp what God's up to because he can't believe that God would do such a thing. God is behind it. God is using the evil. Now, the Bible makes clear God doesn't cause evil, but evil happens under the sovereign rule of God, which means that God is able to use evil for his good purposes. He's not sitting back, wringing his hands, hoping the king of Babylon doesn't do too much damage. God's God, even over the evil that we see in Shreveport, which means he can do something about it. Which means we pray to him and we ask him to do something about it. And he says, I'm hearing your prayers and I'm doing something. Even though you may not understand, even though you don't see it, trust me. You're going to have to trust me on this, the Lord says. And God uses in Habakkuk's situation, God uses Babylon, this evil, wicked city, who's doing what they want to do, which is evil, wicked things, but he uses it for good. He flips evil on its head and uses it for good to bring his people back to himself, to discipline Israel, to come to him. If God didn't, if God restrained Babylon and said, I'm just going to let Israel run down after their idols, that's not a loving thing to do. But God in his mercy and grace says, I'm going to use this to turn my people back to me. And so God is sovereign and good and he is faithful to use even the evil we see in our lives, in our schools, in our families, in our cities. He's using it all for his good purposes. He's still on his throne. What about us? That's what he did in, with Babylon. But what is, Jesus, what is God doing here for us? What we need to realize is that God hears your prayers for your family, for your marriages, for your schools, for your business place, for this city, for this country, for the world. God is working in a way that you could never imagine. Like God used wicked Babylon to accomplish his purposes, God used the sinful, wicked men to crucify Christ. And in that, God defeated the enemy. But here's a switch that needs to happen in our minds as we think through these things. Jesus didn't just die for your afterlife. Okay, Jesus didn't just die. It is true. The good news of the gospel is that I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We are sinners and we are condemned to hell because of our sin. But God in his grace sent Jesus to die on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven and we live eternally with God in heaven. But that's not, that's just a piece of the good news. When Jesus, when you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called gospels because it's all about the good news of Jesus his life and his declaration, like Jordan said last week, the truth and deeds of the gospel. 
Jesus said, I have good news. He declared, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God. What is a kingdom? It's dominion, it's domain, it's reign, it's rule, it's law, it's order, it's principles by which we live, it's governance, all those concepts that Jesus says, I have good news, the reign, rule, dominion, the kingdom of God, this glorious peace, love, joy, restoration, unity, reconciliation, justice, righteousness of God, Jesus brings into a life, into a marriage, into a family, into a community, and into neighborhoods, into cities, into schools, into workplaces. That's how God is bringing restoration to Shreveport. So Habakkuk is telling us God hears our prayers, but he's working in ways that we could never imagine. He's working through the evil killing of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his filling of the Spirit with his followers. He's working through the most unimaginable way you can ever imagine. God hears your prayers for the city of Shreveport. God hears your prayers for your schools. God hears your prayers for your community. God hears your prayers for your family and for your marriages. And guess how he's answering it? Through you. Through you. As you receive, that's the language of the gospel, that's the language of Jesus, inviting us to receive the kingdom, not go build the kingdom, not go extend the kingdom, words we like to use. But what he says is receive the kingdom. Submit to the reign and rule of Jesus. Trust in Jesus and obey kingdom domain language, obey his reign and his rule, and you will experience the restoration of God in your life and in your marriage. Raise your hand if you've seen that in your own life or in your own marriage. Have you experienced it? I mean it. Raise your hand if you have experienced the very reality that I'm talking about. So we're not just playing games here. I have the privilege to sit on the front row of watching you come in here. Life's a mess, just like mine. And watching Jesus restore marriages, restore kids to their parents, restore families. That's what Jesus does. And that's how we're going to see the city restored. And what's your role in it? To invite others to in in to receive the kingdom of God in their life. So God hears your prayers, but he's answering in a way you would never believe if I told you. He's going to restore this city as you invite your friends and your family and your co-workers and your neighbors to experience the kingdom that Jesus brings. And one family at a time, one person at a time. What is a city? A city is a collection of communities. What is a community? A community is a collection of neighborhoods. So what is Norris Ferry Community? It's a collection of neighborhoods. Many of them gated communities, gated streets, gated neighborhoods. And how are we going to see Norris Ferry Community transformed? One person, one relationship at a time.
And as each of you, those who don't live in Norris Ferry community, why are you in that place? Because God's transforming the city. How many times have you had someone say, like I said at the beginning, I was just the last place on earth I wanted to live was Shreveport. I never thought I would live in Shreveport. And most of them, 90% of them come from Texas. Well, you know why you're in Shreveport? Because God says, you are a part of transforming this city. I love this city. And Jesus is the hope for this city. And you are a part of that hope as you and I bring Jesus and the restoration that Jesus brings to lives, to families in this city. So we have the answer for our city. It's in Jesus. So have faith. God hears your prayers. Also, have faith. God will establish justice. There's a part of us that says, yeah, that sounds good, but this is taking a long time, and evil looks like it's winning. That's what Habakkuk was feeling. Look at verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? He's just questioning, how does this make sense? How are you just? You're going to use wicked Babylon? He says, oh, Lord, my God, my holy one, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil. You can't even look at wrong. Why do you idly look at wicked Babylon, these traitors, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up more man more righteous than he? Evil is winning, Lord. How can you watch this happen? And he shares things from his perspective. This is Habakkuk just being honest to the Lord. Lord, it seems like in verse 14, it seems like you make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, like there's no ruler. And he brings them all up with a hook and he drags them out with his net and he gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices. The fisherman who is just dragging up these people, these fish are, are rejoicing. He's rejoicing and he's glad and therefore he sacrifices to his nets. He makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Where's the justice is he then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? How long, Lord, is this going to go on? How long are you going to watch these, the wicked win? Will we ever see justice? Does evil win? The short answer is yes, we'll see justice. No, evil doesn't win. God establishes justice in the end. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord answered Habakkuk saying, write this vision down. Notice that. Write this down. God's revealing to Habakkuk, write it down, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Reading this revelation from God gives energy for the running. Do you see how that works? Do you see the logic here? 
Habakkuk is like, this is terrible. God says, write this down because the revelation of God written in Scripture for those who read, it's their nourishment that they may run the race in the midst of the turmoil. That's the word of God. For still what's written in the word, the vision awaits its appointed time. There's an appointed time for which God has everything and it, it hastens to the end. It will not lie to you. Your Bible reveals God's plan. It hastens forward though you think the Lord is slow in his plans. He will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him. But the righteous shall live by his what? Faith. Say that aloud. Righteous will live by his faith. Not by sight, not by human logic, not just by reason. The righteous are required to live by faith. Hebrews says faith is being certain of things unseen. Certain of it. Being convinced of the realities of things unseen. Well, how do we know about them if they're unseen? They're written in the word of God. God reveals them to us through the word. This is what's gonna happen. This is who I am. Here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I did in Jesus. Here's what I'm doing for your lives in the city in Jesus. And here's what Jesus is gonna do. He's gonna come back and he's gonna get justice. And in the meantime, don't live by sight Don't look around at the chaos and get discouraged and give up. Look around with eyes of faith. See the potential that Jesus brings. See the restoration and revolution and reconciliation that Jesus will bring in a city if he's reigning and ruling. Because the righteous live by faith, not by sight. The righteous have a hope that undergird them that no one else has. The marriage that is in Christ can endure any difficulty because they know they have Christ. The righteous live by faith. So part of that faith of the unseen is that no, evil does not win in the end. And then God answers with woes in verse Six. I'm going to read 6 through 20. I'm going to skip around for time's sake. But listen to these five woes that, that God reveals to the wicked. Woe, 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 woe to those who are committing wicked, evil acts. He says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. You have forfeited your life. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze upon their nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Woe to him who says to a wooden idol, awake, to a silent stone, arise. There is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The Lord reigns. He will get justice in the end. Christ died for our sins. He was buried for our forgiveness. He rose from the grave, defeating death and Satan. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He pours his spirit into his followers that we may proclaim, announce the good news of the kingdom of God is here if you'll receive and enter into it by faith. And he convicts through his spirit those who are in the world that may come to him. And then he says, he waits In Romans, we studied it. He sits on the edge of his throne with anticipation for the time to go. And when he comes, he gets justice and he destroys evil and his rebellious, wicked enemies. He gets justice. And then he establishes a new heaven and a new earth where there is no evil, there is no sin, where the righteous live by sight because faith is sight. Faith is seeing. And all that was meant to be will be. These are certain realities that are coming. God does not lie. God hears your prayer. God will get justice. But in the midst of all this weariness that you feel, you get tired. So what do you do? You go to your community and you open the word. This is why we exist. You open your Bible and together you read it. And together you seek to understand it because it reveals unseen realities that gives you the protein so that you can run and endure to the end. God hears your prayers and he answers in ways you can never imagine. He's going to heal this city and reconcile this city to himself through you and through me. Have faith. God will bring justice. In the end, he will get justice. We can leave that to him. We don't have to try to make it happen. We can fight for the justice of the city, but we don't execute it. Finally, we have faith that God will be merciful. In the middle of all this, Habakkuk's like, okay, in the middle of all this talk about wrath, is there any hope for mercy? Verse three of chapter three, or chapter three, verse two, I should say. Chapter three, verse two, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. That's a good prayer. (laughs) Lord, in your wrath, please remember mercy. Because that is our only hope is the mercy of God. Now this time as he cries out, God, is there going to be mercy in the end when you pour out your wrath? 
The answer does not come from the Lord speaking. It comes from where? His Bible. What do you mean? Well, if you keep reading in the rest of chapter 3, you see poetic language describing historical events where God showed mercy in the midst of his wrath, like the Exodus. I'll read you a portion of that. But when God was pouring wrath on Egypt, the plagues, what was he doing? He was saving Israel in the midst of it. Mercy in the midst of wrath. So he says in poetic language in verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying them bare from thigh to neck. And if you keep reading, it sounds like the bodies floating in the Red Sea of the Egyptian soldiers. In verse 17 through 19, we see the result of Habakkuk remembering God's faithfulness in the past from reading his scriptures and his strength is encouraged and emboldened. He says, though I look around and I see things look sad, I will rejoice. Look what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though the crime rates have risen, and nor fruit be on the vine and people are hungry, and the produce of olive fail, we're not celebrating, and the fields Yield no food, and the flock will be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Though I look around Shreveport and I see the crime rate climbing, and I see marriages hurting, and I see schools deteriorating, Habakkuk says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's feet. You ever seen a deer that can just walk on the thinnest little edge? I think of those mountain goats that stand up there. I mean, they are on death's edge And their feet are amazingly nimble and sturdy. Like the deer's feet, he makes me tread on my high places. The Lord is saying to you today, I know things look bad. But I've put you in Shreveport for a reason. You are the messenger of hope for Shreveport. You see the social media, everyone talking about how bad it is and and. Then there's like this power of positive thinking thing. If everyone would just stop talking about how bad it was, it would be good. And I'm like, that's not the hope. It's like if everyone would just enter into the reign and rule of Jesus, it would be wonderful. And so that's your role. That's my role is tell your neighbor, invite your neighbor, get to know your neighbor, Spend time with your neighbor. Consistently plug into community group so that you're reading the revelation of God that tells you about the unseen truths and realities so that you have fortitude to run, to go back out, to embrace your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family with the good news that King Jesus transforms lives and brings hope to this city. Amen? That's why we exist. Father God, I pray that you would make us a people 
who do what Habakkuk's doing. Though we look around us and we're barely walking on this little thin, razor-sharp edge of hope, like a deer, like a mountain goat, we rejoice in the Lord. We take joy that you are working, that you have saved us and you have transformed us and you are still transforming us in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. And you have brought us to Shreveport to live, to root our lives here, not by accident, but for a purpose because you love the people of Shreveport. And so may we say the Lord God is our strength. You make our feet like the deer steady as we tread on high places. Thank you for the reminder that you hear our prayers in Jesus, that you will establish justice in Jesus, and that we will see you merciful to those who are in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.